Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Well, good morning. I want to tell you a story of uh, a holiday that I went on a couple of years ago. We went to Namibia. We did a kind of tour around the whole country, and uh, we stopped at this one particular coastal town uh, called Wolvis Bay, where we knew that there was a seal colony. Uh, My dad is a huge uh, fan of seals. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, I think they're quite ugly personally, but he loves seals. And uh, we agreed that we would stop off at this seal colony. We'd hired a four by four and we drove out with our map in the direction of uh, the sand spit where we knew the um, seal colony was. It was not as straightforward as possible. We ended up acquiring a guide um, who came and joined us in the car. Um, We spent uh, about 15 to 20 minutes um, at 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, racing through very deep and loose sand, uh, which was quite frightening and uh, exhilarating. And as many of you know, I'm not a fan of roller coasters, uh, so it didn't quite go down uh, very well with me. But as we drove out to the sand spit, uh, we were completely on our own. Uh, the only uh, other living thing out there seemed to be jackals, which filled me with even more fear. Um, but as we journeyed, uh, we saw on the horizon some uh, black dots. And as we got closer and closer, those black dots turned into seals. And to start with, There was uh, just one or two seals just here and there. And we were kind of pointing at them and, oh, there's a seal, there's a seal. Then the one or two seals turned into 10 or 20 seals. And then 10 or 20 seals turned into hundreds of seals. I am not joking. Uh, The sand spit was covered, absolutely covered in seals. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of seals absolutely everywhere. We stopped the car and uh, and got out of the car. Um, it was truly breathtaking, actually. I mean, I still think that seals are very ugly, um, but it was absolutely incredible to see them there in such vast numbers. And as we kind of walked towards them, they kind of awkwardly moved on their, uh, on their tiny little fins, their big blubbery bodies. That's my best impression, by the way. You won't get that one again. Um, They're big, big, blubbery, ugly bodies, kind of like big slugs, aren't they, really, seals? 
um, and, and shuffled themselves, laboured movement really, but into the sea. And what happened when they got to the sea was utterly incredible. I don't think I will ever forget this moment. Once they were in the sea, the seals were utterly transformed. They were so different. What was sluggish and laboured and difficult for them on the land, they just started uh, swimming and jumping. They were ducking and diving, dipping in and out of the waves, catching the sun on their skin. It was absolutely incredible. For them, there was just a real joy. It was so evident uh, that they were um, just so at ease in the water. Um, It was utterly, utterly beautiful. And as I stood there like all good theological students, (laughs) I was reminded of something that C.S. Lewis says. He says that if I find within myself desires which nothing in the world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And as I watched these seals uh, transformed as they got into the water, I thought, gosh, isn't that just such a picture of the restlessness, of the dissatisfaction that we feel with our lives now? We just long, don't we, for there to be something more, to live for something more. We're just not satisfied with the world around us. The stuff that we see on the news, the disaster, the famine, the crisis, and the war, we are desperate, aren't we, for there to be something more. And that dissatisfaction, that restlessness with this world is a sign that we were made for something more. And so we come to the end of God's big story where Pete Hughes says that the world will be released from the curse of sin, which has held it since sin first entered the world in the Garden of Eden. The awful things that we see on the news, that we experience in this life, are not how God intended the world. They're not how God made it to be. God did not create the world a hopeless and a broken place. He made the earth and he said, didn't he, in Genesis 1, that it was good. And at the end of this big story that we read now in Revelation 21, God fulfills his promise to restore all things, to make all things new to get rid of our fear and our grief and our pain. But not just that, not just to get rid of them, but also to transform the world. This is not just going to be a direct reflection of Eden. This is not just going to be a second Eden. In Revelation 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And when he says, then the one on the throne shouts, I'm making all things new. The word here, the Greek word here is kainos. It's the word for being transformed. We get another word for new, which is ex nihilo, which means uh, something from nothing. Uh, something that wasn't there is now created, is now there. But the word here is kainos, uh, something that is being transformed. These words or these phrases are about God transforming the heavens and the earth. Think back then to uh, the seals and their laboured movement on the land. They are totally changed, aren't they, by the context of being in the water, transformed beautifully. And do I think of heaven and earth like this, that a new heaven and the new earth like this? Yes, I do. 
my laboured and my broken and my sinful life will be transformed. And I will be as I was intended, free and full of life and fruitful in the presence of God. And do I think about the world like this too? Yes, I do. Where the earth has been plagued by pollution, by disaster, by abuse, it will be transformed into how it was intended to be, beautiful and fruitful and free. C.S. Lewis uses another phrase in his last book in the Narnia series, The Final Battle. And uh, uh, the whole book is about good finally overcoming evil. And in the final uh, pages, as the victory is won, uh, the characters journey out of the Shadowlands and back to Narnia to see Aslan all the time shouting further up and further in, further up and further in. And the whole of creation has been altered by the victory of good over evil. And they see almost for the first time the goodness and the intense beauty of the world around them. The world has been transformed into more. And that phrase further up and further in captures the newness and the transformation and the goodness which is around them. The victory of good over evil has won the newness. The old was good, but this is more. It is perfected. It is a truer revelation of what was already there. Further up and further in is like a fresh vision. It's like unmisting the goggles or the glasses. It's like taking the veil away fully. And this new heaven and this new earth is perfection as it is joined together. No longer do we have this kind of dualist, uh, dualistic separation of um, the heaven and the earth, where heaven is where God dwells and the earth is where the human dwells. Now the two come together. The dwelling place of God, Revelation 21 says, is with humans. And so now flick over to Revelation 22 with me. And this new heaven and new earth together is fleshed out as a holy city, as God's people and God's place. It's radiant as with the glory of God, like John says, like Jasper. You go through the tribes of Israel and uh, the foundation of it is the apostles. The measurements are the same as the imagery in Ezekiel 40 for the Holy of Holies and the temple. It's perfectly cubic. Remember, that was the place where only the priests could go because that's where God's presence dwelt. And now this holy city, the embodiment of the Holy of Holies, it it stretches over the whole earth. The distance and the numbers and the sizes aren't quite the point here, but you've got 12 times 1,000. That's incredible, isn't it? That's a huge, huge distance, a huge cubic distance. The 12 tribes of Israel, God's holy people, times 1,000 by the power and the goodness and the enormity of who God is and of his pure presence being with them. The New Jerusalem is a place and it is a people. The tribes and the apostles form it. And it covers the whole earth. The gates are always open and the nations draw in, which suggests that there is an eternal welcome. We don't all finish by going up into heaven. This isn't the spirit in the sky. We don't all have cherub wings and play harps all day. 
But we are taken back to the imagery of Eden. And at the centre of this people and this place is the tree of life. Heaven and earth are reconciled. They're made for each other and they're brought together finally as the place of fruitfulness and of life and of dwelling with God. And this tree, which is at the centre, John says its leaves are for the healing of the nations. That reconciliation, the healing of the nations is what is at the centre of this new heaven and new earth. God has not forgotten his people. He has not abandoned them. He has refused to give up on them. He promises to transform them all the way through uh, scripture, all the way through this big story. As if he has been pointing to this, the true promised land, God's people in God's place. Washed by the blood of the lamb, as we read in Revelation chapter 7, the pain and the chaos are gone. The wandering is over. And this is what we were made for. Life in the presence of God. This is what fullness of life is. But I hear you wondering, what does this have anything to do with Monday morning theatre and my to-do list, which is waiting for me tomorrow? I want us to think about what it means to live in the light of this eternal reconciliation of the new heaven and the new earth. And I think it means that we are to be eternal optimists. I heard Ruth Bashega talk about this uh, once. Um, she was the vicar in Dorking and now is Bishop of Chichester. And I rang her up this week to ask her a bit more about what it means to be eternal optimists. First, to be eternal in our optimism is to know that Christ has won the victory, that his death on the cross has accomplished for us that that complete end to sin and death. It is over. The victory has won us newness and the victory of Christ there of reconciling humans and God once again means that heaven and earth will eternally be reconciled. That is now a given. We know that uh, the battle is uh, still playing out in the spiritual realm, but we know that God has won. God has ultimately won and that he is sovereign. So what does it mean for us to be an eternal optimist? Well, that is somebody who lives in the truth that God is good, that he is true, that he is faithful, and that his word tells us that he will not abandon us or leave us alone. An eternal optimist lives as a sign for that goodness, that the goodness is coming, that the perfection and the transformation is coming. And therefore, we are to speak hope into a world that feels hopeless, that we are to be peace in a world that is restless and anxious, that we are to practice grace and humility in a world that is about competition and domination. Why? Because we know a better world is coming where there is no separation between heaven and earth, where God will dwell with his people again. And we want to be ready for it. We want our lives to be like a trailer video, to be the hints and the snippets to God's new world that is coming. We want to be the sign. We are eternal optimists. We know what is coming. We know the end of the story. And we want others to know that the goodness and the faithfulness of God is true and that what God has promised is coming. 
just like those seals then in my story right at the beginning, transformed from laboring and awkward into beautiful and free and full of life. We too will be transformed into the light and the truth and the promise of God's big story. And he will make all things new. Amen.